Ladies and gentlemen, the day has finally come. Another World Audiobooks is proud to present A Christmas Carol, an audio drama. This is an incredible labor of love that has been put together by the generous actions, the generous uh, voices of 21 voice actors from around the world who came together and said, yes, I want to help Operation Christmas Child this Christmas season and bring Christmas to some kids around the world who need it the most. This is a fully produced sound effects, music, vocal acting, all put together into one wonderful package. I could not be more proud or more excited to bring to you this audio drama version of A Christmas Carol. This has been a tradition of Another World Audiobooks to do A Christmas Carol. It was actually the first book that I did when I started this podcast almost, was it three or four years ago? Uh, man, it's just, it's been so much fun seeing the audience grow, growing the Another World Audiobooks family. And uh, yeah, this is... Uh, <laughs> It's only up from here, but this, I feel like, is a culmination. It's just like all this has kind of come together and coalesced, and all these people volunteered their time. These are professional voice actors who are just like, yeah, I want to get on board with this. And I, I'm just so proud of what we, we put together. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, just so you know, this, uh, like all the other audiobooks that we do, Another World Audiobooks, we, we serialize the, the episodes here for free on the podcast. But in order to support the podcast, because this is just a labor of love, we um, offer the books for sale on the back end so if you want the full version without you know having to download multiple episodes and not having to listen to me talk at the start and end of each episode you can just uh, do that at anotherworldaudiobooks.com the link to buy all our past audiobooks is there and that just supports the podcast but for this particular audiobook all proceeds are going to benefit operation christmas child which is just a wonderful charity uh, if you haven't heard about them before go to their website donate to operation christmas child and then email you the receipt of your donation to anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com and I will add you to the pre-order list. Then when the book officially launches, you will be able to download it there for free since you donated to Operation Christmas Child. So basically your donation is your purchase of this audiobook. And it's, it's pay what you like. So if you want to donate a dollar, uh, if you want to donate $100, Operation Christmas Child is a wonderful organization. And this is the time of year to give back. So go uh, to anotherworldaudiobooks.com and you can see all the instructions for how to get on the pre-order list. And once it launches, there will also be a, a link to just buy the book itself. So so thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, like I said, just seeing the podcast grow has been amazing. So exciting just to see the Another World Audiobooks family growing. And uh, I could not be more proud or more happy to bring this to you. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, we will be doing Stave 1 here this week. And then leading up to Christmas each week, we're going to have a new episode of A Christmas Carol audio drama. Uh, we'll be picking up on The Hound of the Baskervilles here after Christmas. So don't, uh, don't fear. I will not leave you hanging on that forever, just for uh, about a month as we go through A Christmas Carol. All that being said, it is now my great pride, privilege, and joy to present to you, without further ado, Stave One of A Christmas Carol, an audio drama. I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea, which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly, and no one wish to lay it. Their faithful friend and servant, Charles Dickens. December, 1843. Marley was dead, to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. 
The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know, of my own knowledge, what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it, or the country is done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat, emphatically, that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead? Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole residuary legatee, his sole friend, and sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut off by the sad event, but that he was an excellent man of business on the very day of the funeral, and solemnized it with an undoubted bargain. The mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come from the story I am going to relate. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood, years afterwards, above the warehouse door. Scrooge and Marley. The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rime was on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days, and didn't thaw at one degree at Christmas. External heat and cold could have little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him. No wind that blew was bitterer than he. No falling snow was more intent upon its purpose, no pelting rain less open to entreaty. Foul weather didn't know where to have him. The heaviest rain, the snow, and hail and sleet could boast of the advantage over him in only one respect. They often came down handsomely, and Scrooge never did. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say, with gladsome looks, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No. No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what it was o'clock. No man or woman ever once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place of Scrooge. But what did Scrooge care? It was the very thing he liked, to edge his way along the crowded paths of life, warning all human sympathy to keep its distance. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting-house. 
It was cold, bleak, biting weather. Foggy withal, and he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stamping their feet upon the pavement stones to warn them. The city clocks had only just got to three, but it was quite dark already, and it had not been light all day. The candles were flaring in the windows of the neighboring offices like ruddy smears upon the palpable brown air. The fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole, and was so dense without that, although the court was of the narrowest, the houses opposite were mere phantoms. To see the dingy cloud come dropping down, obscuring everything, one might have thought that nature lived hard by and was brewing on a large scale. The door of Scrooge's counting-house was open that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who, in a dismal little cell beyond, a sort of tank, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal-box in his own room, and so surely as the clerk came in with the shovel, the master predicted that it would be necessary for them to part. Wherefore, the clerk put on his white comforter, and tried to warm himself at the candle, in which effort, not being a man of strong imagination, he failed. A merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Ah, humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then, what right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Bah, humbug. Don't be cross, uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas, out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older, but not an hour richer. A time for balancing your books and having every item in them for a round dozen of months presented dead against you. Oh, if I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should. Uncle! Nephew, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it, but you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you. Much good it has ever done you. There are many things from which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited, I dare say. Christmas among the rest. But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time when it has come around, apart from the veneration due to its sacred name and origin, if anything belonging to it can be apart from that as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year where men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. <laughs> Let me hear another sound from you, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Dine with you tomorrow? 
You'll be seeing me in hell first. But why? Why? Why did you get married? Well, I... Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love? Good afternoon. Nay, uncle. But you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon. I am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. We have never had any quarrel to which I have been a party. But I have made the trial an homage to Christmas, and I'll keep my Christmas humour to the last. So a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. Merry Christmas indeed, the insolent little wretch. A Merry Christmas to you, Bob. How fares your family? And the same to you. My family as well. There's another fellow, my clerk, with 15 shillings a week and a wife and family talking about a Merry Christmas. I'll retire to Bedlam. And a Merry Christmas to you, gentlemen. Please, come in. A mite warmer than here, I dare say. <laughs> Good day. Do come in. Mr Scrooge is right through that door, sirs. Why, thank you. Good day. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Please allow me to introduce my colleague, Mr Walpole. A pleasure, sir. And myself, Mr Poole. Uh, have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. He died seven years ago this very night. Oh, my sincere condolences for your loss. We have no doubt his liberality is well represented by his surviving partner. Liberality. Not interested. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. And the union workhouses? Are they still in operation? They are. Still... I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigour, then? Both very busy, sir. Oh, I was afraid, from what you said at first, that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. I'm very glad to hear it. Hmm. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to the multitude... A few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We chose this time because it is a time, of all others, when want is keenly felt. And abundance rejoices! What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. 
if they would rather die, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. But good sir, these people are human beings. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. And good afternoon to you, sir. A Merry Christmas to you. Out! Can't a man be left to his work? That's all I ask. To be left alone to do what needs done. Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened so that people ran about with flaring links, proffering their services to go before horses and carriages and conduct them on their way. The ancient tower of a church, whose gruff old bell was always peeping slyly down at Scrooge out of a gothic window in the wall, became invisible and struck the hours and quarters in the clouds, with tremulous vibrations afterwards, as if its teeth were chattering in its frozen head up there. The cold became intense. In the main street, at the corner of the court, some laborers were repairing the gas pipes, and had lighted a great fire in the brazier, round which a party of ragged men and boys were gathered, warming their hands and winking their eyes before the blaze in rapture. The brightness of the shops, where holly sprigs and berries crackled in the lamp heat of the windows, made pale faces ruddy as they passed. Poulterers and grocers' trades became a splendid joke, a glorious pageant, with which it was next to impossible to believe that such dull principles as bargain and sale had anything to do. Foggier yet, and colder, piercing, searching, biting cold. It stung the eyes and nipped at the nose. The owner of one scant young nose, gnawed and mumbled by the hungry cold as bones are gnawed by dogs, stooped down at Scrooge's keyhole to regale him with a Christmas carol. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Saviour was born on Christmas Day to save us all from... Stop that racket! Off with ya! The day ends too soon. Day's over already? Imagine that. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose. If quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, and it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. Well, sir. And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It is only once a year, sir. A poor excuse for picking a man's pockets every 25th of December. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier next morning. Oh, yes, sir. Promise, sir. The office was closed in a twinkling, and the clerk, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no greatcoat, went down a slide on Cornhill, at the end of a lane of boys, twenty times, in order of its being Christmas Eve, and then ran home to Camden Town, as hard as he could pelt, to play at Blindman's Buff. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern and having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner, 
They were a gloomy suite of rooms and a lowering pile of buildings up a yard, where it had so little business to be that one could scarcely help fancying it must have run there when it was a young house playing at hide-and-seek with other houses and forgotten the way out again. It was old enough now, and dreary enough, for nobody lived in it but Scrooge, the other rooms being all let out as offices. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, was fain to grope with his hands. The fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house that it seemed as if the genius of the weather sat in mournful meditation on the threshold. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door, except that it was very large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in that place, also, that Scrooge had as little of what is called fancy about him as any man in the city of London, even including, which is a bold word, the corporation, aldermen, and livery. Let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley since his last mention of his seven years' dead partner that afternoon. And then, let any man explain to me, if he can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his key, in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, without its undergoing any intermediate process of change, not a knocker, but Marley's face. Marley's face. It was not an impenetrable shadow, as the other objects in the yard were, but had a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. It was not angry or ferocious, but looked at Scrooge as Marley used to look with ghostly spectacles turned up on its ghostly forehead. The hair was curiously stirred, as if by breath or hot air, and though the eyes were wide open, they were perfectly motionless. That, and its livid colour, made it horrible. But its horror seemed to be in spite of the face and beyond its control, rather than a part or its own expression. As Scrooge looked fixedly at this phenomenon, it was a knocker again. Humbug. To say that he was not startled, or that his blood was not conscious of a terrible sensation to which it had been a stranger from infancy, would be untrue. But he put his hand upon the key he had relinquished, turned it sturdily, walked in, and lighted his candle. He did pause, with a moment's irresolution, before he shut the door, and he did look cautiously behind it first, as if he half expected to be terrified with the sight of Marley's pigtail sticking out into the hall. But there was nothing on the back of the door, except the screws and nuts that held the knocker on. Nothing. Oh, of course there's nothing. The sound resounded through the house like thunder. Every room above, and every cask in the wine merchant's cellar below, appeared to have a separate peal of echoes of its own. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by echoes. He fastened the door, and walked across the hall and up the stairs, slowly too, trimming his candle as he went. Up Scrooge went, not caring a button for the darkness. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it, but before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. He had just enough recollection of the face to desire to do that. 
Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room, all as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa. A small fire in the grate, spoon and basin ready, and the little saucepan of gruel. Scrooge had a cold in his head upon the hob. Nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet, nobody in his dressing gown, which was hanging up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Lumber room, as usual, old fire guards, old shoes, two fish baskets, washing stand on three legs, and a poker. Quite satisfied, he closed his door and locked himself in. Double locked himself in, which was not his custom. Thus secured against surprise, he took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. It was a very low fire indeed, nothing on such a bitter night. He was obliged to sit close to it and brood over it before he could extract the least sensation of warmth from such a handful of fuel. The fireplace was an old one, built by some Dutch merchant long ago, and paved all round with quaint Dutch tiles designed to illustrate the scriptures. There were Cain's and Abel's, Pharaoh's daughters, Queen's of Sheba, angelic messengers descending through the air on clouds like feather beds, Abraham's, Belshazzar's, apostles putting off to sea in butterboats, hundreds of figures to attract his thoughts, and yet that face of Marley, seven years dead, came like an ancient prophet's rod and swallowed up the whole. If each smooth tile had been blank at first, with power to shape some picture on its surface from the disjointed fragments of his thoughts, there would have been a copy of old Marley's head on every one. Humbug. After several turns of anxious pacing around the room, Scrooge sat down again. As he threw his head back in the chair, his glance happened to rest upon a bell, a disused bell that hung in the room and communicated for some purpose now forgotten with a chamber in the highest story of the building. It was with great astonishment and with a strange, inexplicable dread that, as he looked, he saw this bell began to swing. It swung so softly in the outset that it scarcely made a sound. But soon, it rang out loudly, and so did every bell in the house. Ah! Ah! This might have lasted half a minute, or a minute, but it seemed like an hour. The bells ceased as they had begun, together. They were succeeded by a clanking noise, deep down below as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar. Scrooge then remembered to have heard that ghosts in haunted houses were described as dragging chains. The cellar door flew open with a booming sound, and then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below, then coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards his door. It's humbug still. I won't believe it. His colour changed, though, when, without a pause, a ghostly apparition came on through the heavy door and passed into the room before his eyes. The same face. The very same. Marley, in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights and boots, 
the tassels on the latter bristling like his big tail and his coat skirts and the hair upon his head. The chain he drew was clasped about his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made, for Scrooge observed it closely, of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. His body was transparent, so that Scrooge, observing him, and looking through his waistcoat, could see the two buttons on his coat behind. Scrooge had often heard it said that Marley had no bowels, but he had never believed it until now. No, nor did he believe it now, though he looked the phantom through and through, and saw it standing before him, though he felt the chilling influence of his death-cold eyes, and marked the very texture of the folded kerchief bound about its head and chin, which wrapper he had not observed before, he was still incredulous, and fought against his senses. How now? What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you, then? You're particular for a shade. In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you... can you sit down? I can. Do it, then. You don't believe in me. I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Scrooge was not much in the habit of cracking jokes, nor did he feel, in his heart, by any means waggish then. The truth is that he tried to be smart as a means of distracting his own attention and keeping down his terror, for the spectre's voice disturbed the very marrow in his bones. To sit, staring at those fixed, glazed eyes, in silence for a moment, would play, Scrooge felt, the very deuce with him. There was something very awful, too, in the spectre's being provided with an infernal atmosphere of its own. Scrooge could not feel it himself, but it was clearly the case. For, though the ghost sat perfectly motionless, its hair, its skirts and tassels were still agitated as by the hot vapour from an oven. You see this toothpick? I do. You were not looking at it. But I see it, notwithstanding. Well, I have but to swallow this and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins all of my own creation. Humbug, I tell you. Humbug. Mercy! Dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do. I must. But 
Why do spirits walk the earth? And why do they come to me? Oh, it is required of every man that a spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit does not go forth in life, it is condemned to do so. It is doomed to wander through the world, oh fool's peace, and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth, and turned to happiness. <laughs> you are fettered. Tell me why. I wear the chain. I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by I girded it on of my own free will. And of my own free Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. It comes from other regions. Ebenezer Scrooge and is conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men. Nor can I tell you what I would. A very little more is all permitted to me. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Mark me. slow about it, Jacob. Seven years dead and travelling all the time. The whole time. No rest, no peace. Incessant torture of remorse. You travel fast? On the wings of the wind. You might have got over a great quantity of ground in seven years. Hound and double ironed, not to know 
of incessant labor by immortal creatures, for this earth must pass into eternity before the good of which it is susceptible is all developed. Not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in its little sphere, whatever it may be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. Not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunity misused. Yet, such was I. Oh, such was I. But you always were a good man of business, Jacob. Business. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. At this time of the rolling year, I suffer why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise him to the lesser star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light could have conducted me? Hear me. My time is nearly gone. I will... But don't be hard upon me, Jacob. Pray. How is it that I appear before you in a shape that only you can see? I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day. That is no light part of my penance. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my a chance and hope of my procuring, Ebenezer. You always were a good friend to me. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. I, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow. When the bell tolls, one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more. And look that for your own sake. You remember what has passed between. Scrooge ventured to raise his eyes again, and found his supernatural visitor confronting him in an erect attitude, with its chains wound over and about its arm. The apparition walked backwards from him, and at every step it took, the window raised itself a little, so that when the spectre reached it, it was wide open. It beckoned Scrooge to approach, which he did. When they were within two paces of each other, Marley's ghost held up its hand, warning him to come no nearer. Scrooge stopped, 
not so much in obedience as in surprise and fear. For on the raising of the hand, he became sensible of confused noises in the air, incoherent sounds of lamentation and regret, wailings inexpressibly sorrowful and self-accusatory. The spectre, after listening for a moment, joined in the mournful dirge and floated out upon the bleak, dark night. Scrooge followed to the window, desperate in his curiosity. He looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in restless haste and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghosts. Some few, they might be guilty governments, were linked together. None were free. Many had been personally known to Scrooge in their lives. He had been quite familiar with one old ghost in a white waistcoat with a monstrous iron safe attached to its ankle, who cried piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant whom it saw below upon a doorstep. The misery with them all was, clearly, that they sought to interfere for good in human matters and had lost the power forever. Whether these creatures faded into mist or mist enshrouded them he could not tell, but they and their spirit voices faded together, and the night became as it had been when he walked home. Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was double-locked, as he had locked it with his own hands, and the bolts were undisturbed. (laughs) Scrooge, being from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpses of the invisible world, or the dull conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, much in need of repose, went straight to bed without undressing, and fell asleep upon the instant. And it just gets better from here, folks. <laughs> this is stave one. Next week, we're going to be jumping into stave two. In the uh, between there, on the during the weekdays, uh, I'm going to be hopefully publishing some more cast interviews. So stay tuned for those. I uh, hope I'm not <laughs> crowding up your podcast queue too much. But it's just so many awesome people, as you can tell from listening. These are just some amazing people. And wait till we get into the ghosts, people. Oh, my goodness. It's so good. So good. So good. Uh, if you're enjoying this, I would love to hear from you. Please get in touch with all the social media links are down in the show notes. You can get in touch with me there or always at anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com. I would love to talk to you. Love to hear what you think. If you want to pre-order the audiobook, all you got to do is go to Operation Christmas Child's website and donate and then go ahead and send me an email of your receipt. So anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com. Just send me the, the proof of your uh, donation to uh, Operation Christmas Child and then I will get you on the list uh, for the full audiobook once it launches and you will get that uh, just a download code once that is ready to go so thank you again so much for listening this podcast is just blowing up it is so awesome and if you're new to another world audiobooks make sure that you check out the backlist we've got uh i lost track of how many books it's <laughs> around 10 different books i would say that we've done a bunch of sherlock holmes we've done tarzan treasure island pride and prejudice frankenstein you know, all these awesome books from uh, that are in the backlist so we've got over 150 episodes that you can enjoy of another world audiobooks so make sure to subscribe if you like free audiobooks and go back you can just go all the way to the start and uh, listen all the way through and i think you will enjoy it so thanks again so much 
to the actors who volunteered their time to make this possible. Uh, it has come together so beautifully. It's amazing. It was like herding cats <laughs> as far as time zones and different work schedules and all that sort of thing, but we pulled it together. Uh, there was like 530 different audio files that we have uh, clipped all together to make this into a cohesive production, and I, I could not be happier with how it turned out. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you to the voice actors for um, sharing their talents with us. This is was so worth it. So worth it. All right. We will catch you here next during the next week with some more cast interviews, hopefully. And if not, then well, we will see you next Sunday for stave two of A Christmas Carol. Oh, and don't forget to share the podcast with uh, people that you know who would enjoy a free audiobook. And not only that, share it with people who you know who just need some Christmas cheer in their life. Because this story, um, uh, I don't know. I don't know of a better way to spread some Christmas cheer than with this. And also with supporting a wonderful organization like Operation Christmas Child. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. Talk to you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When I was in school, I absolutely hated writing. It wasn't until I was a bit older that I came to understand the power of words. If you're a business owner, you understand that power too. A business blog, when done right, can drive sales, increase revenue, and get you more customers. But as a business owner, you probably don't have the time to do all that writing. Plus, if you're not a copywriter by trade, you might feel like you're just kind of throwing words out there and they're not actually accomplishing anything. The good news is, there's a simple solution. Check it out. I call it the ultimate blog post checklist for businesses with online stores. This checklist will allow you to write better, more effective articles that convert readers into buyers. It's full of easy-to-follow examples to get your creativity flowing based on experience of nearly a million words written. And best of all, it's effective on any type of article in any industry or niche. I've successfully used this exact checklist on topics from pool table reviews to investment advice. Tired of spending tons of time writing stuff that doesn't convert? This checklist will change that by giving you highly effective blog posts and articles that transform readers into paying customers. Go to Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist and start saving time and transforming your writing now. That's Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist. 